This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome listeners to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson. Now, Richard is gone this week, but we still have our wonderful Justin. Justin, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. So what's Richard doing? He's off climbing a mountain again, something like that? Probably. You know, he's got Star Trek V on the brain, I guess. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, great to be here uh, talking more Next Generation. I know I say it every week, but I love talking to Next Generation with you every week. I know. It's so fun. And I I know. I love it, too. Well, we have some uh, listener feedback from the Babel Conference, and this is from Earl Grey 230. That's our favorite character moment, season five. Justin, start us off. Uh, Christopher Lutz says, great discussion. Some really fun picks I didn't expect. One, one I'd pick would be Data Spock, Data slash Spock, actually, from Unification Part 2, when Data asks Spock if he misses his humanity. It's a great scene that's perfectly written. Data looks to Spock as a role model and kindred spirit in that moment, and Spock is reminded of how he has never truly forgotten his human half. Great stuff. That's definitely a great pick. And for me, seeing the two of them together is like a dream come true because Spock's my favorite original series character. Data's my favorite Next Generation character. So seeing them interact in the discussion they have, it's a wonderful moment. I love it. It is. And they're, you know, Data is the Spock of TNG. So it's great to have them on screen together. Yeah. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Eric Reese says, Amy, I'm very much in agreement with your understanding of Troy's intended purpose on the Enterprise. She's meant to be the ship's counselor in context of ship's counsel more than ship's therapist, which is why she has a place on the bridge besides the captain. Yes, I just love it when you listeners agree with me. Thank you so much, Eric. <laughs> yeah, and and when you first mentioned that, it may have been I don't know last year or something. I was like, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. That kind of makes sense. <laughs> so, yeah, it helps you to appreciate her position on the bridge a little bit more. So, good. Well, we also have some feedback from uh, episode two thirty one. That was our Father's Day special, um, Justin. Yeah, Tim Hans said, another great episode from Earl Grey. I have some honorable mentions to add to the end list. Though not purely fathers in the accepted sense due to they were both illusions, one would be Captain Riker as father to young Jean-Luc in the episode, episode Future Imperfect. It gave Riker an insight to what kind of a father he would possibly be. But for the 15-year illusion he had to overcome with the isolated alien child. 
and Picard himself being a father in the memorable episode The Inner Light. Even though it was actually a projected memory from the alien probe the Enterprise encounters, the 30 years of memories he experienced ultimately changed Picard's outlook how he viewed children from being terribly uncomfortable around them when TNG first began. Wow, Tim. I mean, those are great things. I don't think we'd even put it on our list because it's really illusory in a way, but Riker does experience that in Future Imperfect, and maybe it affects... How, what would happen if he was a father and for Picard, you know, maybe that influences how he would be as a father with that, that experience in the inner light. But yeah, great, great picks that I don't think we had thought of. Right. Yeah. And I was also thinking, um, Picard, like in, uh, generations when he was in the Nexus and, you know, he's having that, those children, you know, there he is in the Nexus having children, you know, so that's another illusional experience yeah. i guess well and i like to think because they both have children in the novels that it helps to prepare Riker and picard so yeah stefan ringline says great discussion enjoyed it a lot thanks for sharing your personal experiences of being father richard and son justin i could definitely relate to the son experience also go madrid wow didn't see that one coming deep thoughts there well, thank you so much. It was good to, um, yeah, Richard and Justin really shared some experiences of being father and son. You make it sound like Richard's my father. <laughs> well, no, I mean, respectively. <laughs> respectively, yeah. No, like, thank you, Stefan. I, I, yeah, I mean, it. like, I, I think as we said, it can be hard to share these things, but I'm glad we could, of course, not trying to speak on Richard's behalf because he's not here, but like just for, from my perspective, you know, it, it was a little difficult, but I'm glad I could do that and that you related to that experience. Um, and, and also that uh, you were taken by surprise that we talked about Gal Madrid. I was hoping we'd take some people by surprise because you don't usually think of him as like a father figure to talk about because he's not part of Starfleet or anything like that. But yeah, so glad you enjoyed it. So listeners, we have a an email that we would like to read to you. And I think, Justin, you have that. It's from Randy Congdon. I do. So this is from Randy Congdon from uh, Nevada, and he says, in, rep in reference to your recent uh, podcast on the episode The Wounded, I was watching the last season of DS9 around the time that your podcast aired. In the season finale, I noticed that the minstrel boy was played during O'Brien's send-off scene while he's cleaning out his quarters and finds the missing Alamo soldier. I thought this was an especially poignant goodbye scene. Obviously, the moments from The Wounded that pertain to this song, Miles and Maxwell, clearly had a lasting impact on the writers. Yeah, thank you, Randy. And that is a really nice touch uh, that they put into the last episode of DS9 where the minstrel boy is playing when when O'Brien's saying goodbye to his quarters. So, yeah, I mean, and that makes you think, of course, of, of the wounded from TNG. So it's a nice little through line there. So, yeah, thank you for your email and mentioning that. Yeah, it really adds to Miles' continuity through both series. It's It's really nice. Definitely, yeah. All right, listeners, we are so honored to have a very special guest with us today. It is Bruce Gibson, host of Literary Treks. Bruce, welcome to Earl Grey. It's been a while. It has been a while, and I just want to point out something. My name, Bruce, is actually my middle name. Oh, so I go by my middle name. My first name is Richard. So you still have Richard on the show. <laughs> oh my gosh, who knew? All right, Richard Gibson, right thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> Wait, that's my dad. That sounds weird. 
Yeah, oh. I think, Bruce, the last time you were on was when we were talking about our experience at uh, Star Trek Las Vegas, right? Back in August. Yes, and we get to experience that again in just a couple of months. Less than a couple of months. Yeah, well, as we're, Less, about a month. As we're recording this, about six weeks until STLV. And uh, we'll, we'll have a future episode where we'll talk a little bit about that. If listeners are looking to prepare, we'll share some stories of our experience at Star Trek Las Vegas, me and Amy. And uh, yeah, well, oh, I'll be boy, there. Oh, boy, could I tell you stories about Amy? <laughs> oh, oh, no. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Just a little little thing to say, like if listeners are going to STLV and they see us there, make sure you say hi. Absolutely. But that's not what we're talking about today. No, it's not. No, no. <laughs> so excited. Bruce came up and wanted to talk about Kalar and such an amazing character. I'm so excited to get in. So Bruce, what was uh, the inspiration for wanting to talk about Kalar? Well, because you haven't talked about Kalar before. That's true. That detail. So I don't know. I think with her character, she's only in two episodes of TNG, but yet she makes a big presence. People seem to remember her. Uh, she's a character that really stands out from just being in two episodes. And she's definitely one that uh, needs to be talked about. Absolutely. Um, Justin, what, are, what do you think about Kalar? I think Kalar is a is a fantastic character, and of course she's played by the amazing Susie Plaxon, who also played the Vulcan Doctor Salar on on an earlier episode of of the Next Generation. She also ends up playing the female Q on Voyager. She plays the Andorian Tara on Enterprise. I may have even forgotten one she played, but just like such a variety of different characters from from different um, alien races and kinds of of beings. So. I think part of it's that, but but I think the character is is pretty fascinating because here's this half Klingon, half human character, and you know we've seen half human characters before, like like Spock, but I think this was the first time we saw like half Klingon, half human, and of course you know Klingons and humans were enemies in the original series, and you see Worf, and it seems like okay, there's some kind of peace going on before you get that confirmed in Star Trek Six, but but just like the I'm sure we'll talk about it more the conflict between those two cultures what does it mean to be half Klingon and half human she's just such a fascinating character and I think you're right Bruce even though she's in two episodes she has a very like outsized impact and is a fan favorite and one that people think about a lot and I just love the performance and the character and wish we would have seen quite a bit more yeah Kalar definitely has a lasting impact through the seasons and in TNG and I remember seeing her uh, last year at STLV in the uh, vendor's room and just walking past her. It's like every time I walked past, she wasn't at her table. And then I finally saw her, remember, we asked for an interview. And she yeah. is just, she she's radiant. She is so gorgeous. And she's got <laughs> beautiful long hair and just a dynamic personality. And when she talks, it's like, she just draws you in and just what an amazing actress and she does such a good job portraying Kalar. So, yeah. Yeah. And I love the way that she plays off of Worf. I mean, that's one of my favorite things. When I watch the two episodes that she's in, for some reason, I'm always laughing at Worf, just his reactions <laughs> to her. Because she's know? trying to like she's... push him and needle him, right? And make him laugh or something. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh, there are so many times like when she when they have to go in to analyze different options and she's like, she was late. Sorry, I had to make myself beautiful. 
I am fam- you're not even going to look. I am familiar with your looks, you know, and it's just <laughs> so funny. There are so many that I wrote down. I was just like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, the interplay between those two is perfect. And it's so, so good. Well, not even when she's teasing him, but even when they start getting a little intimate, mm-hmm. <laughs> just to see, you know, Worf, like, show his teeth and like, <laughs> just start laughing every time. You know? You're laughing at their foreplay. <laughs> <laughs> I am because I've tried it and it doesn't oh. work. <laughs> I, I didn't know we would get that kind of information on this episode. <laughs> the visual image, take, make it go away. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just that. They do this hand, like hand sniffing thing where I they like, sniff the wrist yes. and all that. Their what is up olfactory that? sensories must be, you know, more advanced than Trying to like load, load themselves up with more pheromones to get it go. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's a genius concept for them you know because it makes the culture different yeah. from what we do we don't smell each other's hands right. in those situations Not usually uh <laughs> well i can't speak for justin but i don't um <laughs> but i just think it's really odd and and i love that idea like you're saying the pheromones but at the same time uh it's it's kind of awkward to watch that you know and they're yes. just and i kept thinking about the actors as you know, they're being told, okay, so in this scene, what I want you to do is hold her hand and start smelling it. And then she smell your hand. Yeah. And they're probably like, what? <laughs> like this? No, like that. Somebody's had to show them how to do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, let's first talk about, wanted to talk about her service in Starfleet. So when we first meet her in the emissary, she is known as special emissary. And, um, or she's also called the envoy, which I don't know. Yeah. And then ambassador in reunion. So it's a little bit different. Well, so in, so I'm thinking she was promoted, right? She starts with as special emissary and then through the years with her excellent service, she, by the next time we see her, she is, uh, ambassador Kalar in reunion. does that mean, though, a special emissary that she is part of, like, the ambassador corps or whatever that division is called, and that's just, like, a step up to be ambassador? I mean, have you thought about these things, Bruce, like, what she's called? <laughs> uh, a, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I took it that what Amy's saying. I just assumed in the second episode we see her in a reunion that she's been promoted. She's mm. in a higher position because they always – she seems to appear and no one's expecting her. And she makes her grand entrance. And so, you know, uh, I don't think Worf is even expecting her. uh, Either time. To come on board. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, can we talk about her dedication to her job? I mean, when we see her and meet her in Emissary, she is in a probe that has been modified to fit her sort of like a captain. Like, that is serious dedication. She it has a purpose, and she is going to go to all lengths to be successful with her mission. Like, that is amazing to travel warp nine, right? Yeah. In this, I mean, anything could hit fits it. Her. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, does it have shields even? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so many ways to die in space, as, you know, yeah. Bones would say. Like, th- this is one way. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, I think about that too, like, wow, that like for, for someone to tell her, okay, this is so important and so crucial. We're going to cut off 
six hours off your journey by sticking you in this thing that we usually put photon torpedoes in, I think was what it is. Well, no, it's it's a probe. I'm getting it confused because actually they redressed the, um, what was it, the photon torpedo that held Spock in Star Trek uh, 3. Two and two. three, I guess. Two, well, and, two three, and three. Yeah. In order to be this probe. So that's what I'm thinking of as a photon torpedo. But anyway, it's supposed yeah. to be like a, a, a probe. And like, wow, like that's that's really something for because the way that I see Kalar is sure she's half human and half Klingon. She has this sense of humor and all these things that we don't necessarily as much associate with Klingons, but she is still fearless and fierce, and she's just gonna do what's needed and no problem. I'll do that for you, right? Yeah, it it just seemed like a device just to su- make her grand entrance surprise. It was a very grand entrance because, like, at first when I first saw this episode and I didn't know anything about it, I was like, "Wow, what is happening?" And they're spending time with this probe and they're showing this exterior shot, like the, the oh, tractor beams getting it and they're beaming it on. Who's yeah. in it? What's going on? You know, it it is a real grand memorable entrance, right? <laughs> at least she doesn't jump out surprise, you know, like that. <laughs> But it well, and it it's great too because then you know again Worf's reaction obviously you know they know each other there's a past and that's one of the great things when you introduce a character into an episode the character typically is going to be more interesting if you find out there's a past Mm -hmm. because there's some relationship that's already established as opposed to creating a new relationship Um, so you're already going in and wondering okay what what is this relationship that she's had with Worf why does Worf know her and where does she come from and you know how did they know each other and so you're already starting things off with you know a peak interest of okay she's half Klingon half human but at the same time what is this past that she has and so you're already intrigued into the character I have a question for you Bruce so like are there places in the novels where they you see Worf and Kalar at an earlier period there is a young reader uh, Starfleet Academy novel okay. where they're cadets together or they, well, she's a, she's like an emissary to cadets at the Academy and I haven't read it, but I'm just somewhat familiar with it. Okay. Um, but I think that's about it that I'm aware so of. So according to that, they met while he was at Starfleet Academy? Yes. Hmm. So these Klingon ships, the Tong uh, is in cryogenic sleep and they have to you know, get there hopefully before they wake up because these uh, the Klingon ship still believes that they're at war with the Federation. And she is so fatalistic in her uh, philosophy that we need to destroy them. There's not going to be any other option. And she just seems so narrow-minded. And, you know, Captain Picard's like, well, we're going to find another way. Well, you there isn't another way because they're going to want to kill you. And so you need to destroy them. And I just find that so bizarre. Like here we see her as this dedicated officer going in this probe to do this mission. And then she's got her mind set in one way that it, they just need to be destroyed, period. Like to me, there was a little disjunct with with what I sort of think of her like she. I would imagine if you are an emissary that you're going to look for options and and try diplomacy where she doesn't want to at the beginning. Yeah, it is <clears throat> it does seem like she's especially hostile in that situation, but also I think at one point she says these are Klingons of those era that think they're at war with the Federation, all you can do is destroy them and maybe she thinks differently about more modern day Klingons. But yeah, if she's this emissary that's part of like the diplomatic corps, you would think that 
but it but it's almost like she's had some kind of um some kind of experience with her her klingon side that really soured her on that that we don't know about that's what i always think yeah there's that uh, and i do think that but i also it's it's that struggle of being a klingon and a human and i think she knows that these are a Klingon, these are Klingons, of course, from a different time. And so she knows, okay, first of all, they're Klingon. I get them. I'm half of that. I know what that's like. And so you're going to go in there and tell them, oh, things have changed. And there's all these niceties between the Federation and the Klingons. And they're not going to believe you. They're going to kill you. And so they're either, it's either you kill them or they kill you. Now, yeah, that doesn't sound very Federation Starfleet-like. But at the same time, she's like, they would probably prefer to be killed with honor than to be told, now you just need to be nice to all the Federation people from here on out. You're, you know, it's a century later. And uh, I think she knows that, that they're not going to respond well to that, that they would probably prefer to die with honor in battle. And so let's give them what they want. And then we take the threat away. I find it especially interesting, though, because like she's has this hostility and like, you're going to have to destroy them if they wake up. But at the same time, she has like this fascination or this on again, off again thing with, with Worf, you know, it, 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 it almost feels a bit like it's, it's in, in conflict that, that she can, you know, really have this affection or fall in love with, with Worf and toward a lot of other Klingons. It's like, they're killers. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Well, cause I think she looks at Worf as not being a, the in the true sense Klingon. Like I think most of the Klingons that she deals with are these more warrior types. And I'm not saying that she's against yeah. all Klingons, but you know, Worf was raised on Earth. So he's not quite like them. But he thinks of himself as like the Klingons Klingon and duty and honor and like all this stuff, right? Yeah, but she probably <laughs> looks at him and says, Yeah, but I know who you really okay. are. Okay. <laughs> you know? And you're not quite like them. And it's mm. not, and I think she does, you know, like Klingons, but there's a certain type of Klingon and maybe it is that old fashioned Klingon. And so she has that against this group of, of uh, Klingons on the ship because they're from a different century. But then there's the old ways of doing things. And she always seems to talk about like, you know, ugh, the, you know, the Klingon way. Like it's almost, she puts everything's in quotes. Like, and you just see her holding up her fingers like a quote, the Klingon way. <laughs> and she knows Worf isn't quite that way. And he tries to be or whatever, but she knows he's not really fully into that society. He grew up on earth. So he knows that there's other ways of doing things than just quote right. the Klingon way. Well, and of course the irony is in, in reunion where, you know, they're trying to figure out who will succeed uh to being chancellor that she's the one that mentions something in these old ways that gives picard what he wants in order to kind of stretch things out and see what's going on so it actually works <laughs> to her advantage later yeah yeah, and i often wonder why she is so against the klingon way of doing things i mean she's she always seems to talk with disdain about klingons and oh yeah and then the klingons guess what they do it this way and they do it that way i mean she almost sounds yeah. you know that she very much favors her human side and tries to distance herself from her klingon yeah it side. sounds like she must have gotten along with her human mother a lot more than her klingon father that's all i can think of well that is a perfect segue because i wanted to talk about that next um how yeah she has a father who is klingon and a mother who is human and I love the scene, of course, Troy's in it. 
um, where Troy is walking Kaylar to her quarters. And, you know, and she's like, oh, well, I'm half blood, if you will, uh, as well, where uh, with Troy, it's her father that was human and mother who is Beta Zed. And, you know, and, and you can see that Kalar feels that she's just trapped between these two worlds. And, you know, Troy says, well, I like to believe that, you know, I have the richness and diversity of two worlds. And, and then Kalar's like, well, it sounds like you have the best of both of those worlds where I've got the worst. And yeah, she just seems to think that she's inherited the worst traits and characteristics from each of these worlds, you know, the Klingon and the human, like her humor, you know, she is, you know, sort of downplays her humor and how it gets her into trouble. And then this Klingon and all this fight and, and, you know, this anger that she feels because of the Klingon side. And so she's, I think, viewing that she's got the worst of both of these uh, species. Yeah, and it, it, like it's 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 pretty interesting when you think about it because, you know, when I was thinking about it at this time, there is that conversation that she has with with Deanna, who's half half Betazoid, and who seems to have gotten like good things from both, even if she's annoyed by her mother sometimes, right? She seems to appreciate that, um, but for for Kalar, it's like, it's it's been, she feels like her Klingon side has been a curse. It's just given her a temper and and all of that. But I think you see in the course of the episodes that Klingon side also gives her like strength and fierceness and a certain determination that that she really uses well. But she's really uncomfortable with it, and you know it it made me also think of of some of the other half human characters we see in in Star Trek, which I think would be like Spock and Belana Torres. And like for for Spock, he's very much like my Vulcan side is what I really identify with in this human side is the one that's really trying to push me so much. So he has kind of a similar conflict where he relates to one side and is kind of pushing the other one aside. And for, for Balana, I mean, like I think of Balana Torres on, on Voyager as kind of a bit of an outgrowth of the, the Kalar character where, I mean, for Balana too, like it gives her this temper that, that she's Klingon and there's certain things she really doesn't like about it. But for her, at the same time, for for Balana, she had all these problems with her human father, and like she feels pretty, pretty caught between those those worlds. I mean, it seems like out of all of them, like like uh, Deanna is the most getting the most from both and the most well adjusted. But like it it feels like that's that's a struggle you see in different different parts of of Star Trek where. There are these two different cultures, these two different ways of being. You may relate more to one side or or the other side, and I mean that can you know happen in our contemporary culture on on Earth when you have parents that come from from different backgrounds, and there can be a conflict between traditions and religion and how you do things, and like how do you navigate that, and how do you how do you think about it? Like my parents had had some some different backgrounds. And I found it actually hard to relate to either one. And so I kind of forged my own path. And it seems like Kalar is in some ways trying to forge her own path, but she's a little unsure about where to go because there's this Klingon side that she really has issues with. But she says her human side gets her in trouble too when she has this sense of humor that sometimes can get at people that she's working with, right? So I find it a fascinating kind of conflict within herself that you see. Yeah, I... (sighs) 
the whole thing sounds a little odd to me. The whole, you know, human side, Vulcan side for Spock and for Kalar, the Klingon and human side. It's, it sounds so much in these characters that they have to pick a side. Right. And, mm. and it's like, if you're coming from two different cultures, but see. Except for the, Troy, the, the, I don't think she necessarily picks a side. Troy doesn't. Troy's yeah. actually very well balanced and, and yeah. versus the, these other two. And I mean, I can't relate because I don't really have, you know, parents from two different religions or from different backgrounds and such. But typically when you're raised in the family where two people come from different sides of things, they kind of pick their own side. The family picks the side and you're raised in that manner. But even if you diverge away from that, and so let's just say, you know, you have a some uh somebody who is catholic marries somebody who's jewish and so you know that was actually the case for for my parents okay there you go so sometimes you know they'll still practice their religion or one will favor more the one other religion right or vice versa or in my case Uh, they aren't really into either one (laughs) or 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 that but it's there's a common thread there's a common uh setup in in the family now and so like you said you may I'm not even interested in the direction my parents are. I guess what I'm trying to say is you find your path, as you said, Justin, but I don't feel as if you're going to reject the other path, the other side of you. You know, it's not like, let's say, okay, you're, you're one parent is Catholic. The other one's Jewish. And let's say you go and you're going down the Jewish path, but you don't go, Oh, those Catholics. And Oh, if I could just distance myself from being raised from a parent that was mm-hmm. Catholic. I mean, that just seems really extreme to me. I, and I feel like that's just, you know, part of the whole writing of drama and trying to do something in the, in the TV show. But in a lot of ways, I don't feel like if you're really mature and you're, and you've grown up at this age, that you really wouldn't have an attitude against that unless something bad had happened to you. So it just leads me to believe that if her father was Klingon and she has this disdain for Klingons, well, therefore, there was something that happened with her father, between her and her father, where it's really not that she has a problem with Klingons. She has more of a problem with her father. Yeah, and I really want to know what that is. I'm guessing that it has isn't something that's been addressed in novels anywhere, Bruce, that you know of. No. Not that I'm aware of. Because, no. like, what, yeah, what happened? Like, we, we don't even know her father's name. <laughs> like, so we don't even know, like, who he is, what he did, what happened. But she has all this hostility from something in the past. <laughs> yeah, to the point that she's so ugh, Klingons and her father was a Klingon, but then she's attracted to Worf, who was raised by parents from Earth. Mm. So he was raised more in an environment that she would prefer to raise now her son in right yeah yeah it's very it's very interesting did did she say that her father died or i don't think I she said anything that about that she just said okay. at one point her father's klingon when she's talking to troy and her and her mother's is human um yeah and they just I, mentioned that the dna is compatible right so, with yeah. with some work apparently but yeah, no, we don't know if they're still alive or what. I mean, that's the thing. Like, since you only see Kalar for two episodes, there's yeah. so much we don't know about her. But I'm, like, so fascinated by the character. I wanted to see more. Like, we talked about this before on Earl Grey. Like, what, and we'll talk about this, I'm sure, later in the episode. Like, what would have happened if instead of Kalar dying, she had just kind of moved into the Enterprise with Worf and, and Alexander, and we would have gotten to see more of her, kind of like more of what that we get to see more of Keiko and know more about her and all that stuff. That kind of situation would have been really fascinating, but I don't know if you could have done that in the context of what TNG was doing. 
Well, I know. And I wanted to see as I was watching uh, the emissary, I'm like at the end, you know, where Worf is starting to take the oath and she storms out. And I'm like, man, what would it have been if they ended up taking the oath together? Like, what would that have looked like? You know, she's such a I think she's such a realist and. You know, she's like, what are we in in reunion? She's like, well, what would we have done if we did take the oath? Would, you know, I would have had to have given up, you know, my career or you and what would we have done? And, you know, it she's such a realist. Um, but I would have liked to have I, seen. I, that. I think it might have changed Worf in interesting ways if she was there as like a continuing presence in his life, because she is one of those few people, probably Jadzia is another one of them, that kind of pushes Worf like, come on, are you really like this, you know, Klingon duty and honor iceberg, or is there more there beneath the surface, you know? And she could have pushed him in a really interesting way. And I think they, like, if if they had wanted to, they could have written it in such a way that she accepts some kind of, like, ambassadorial type of position on on the Enterprise so that when they're making first contact or whatever, she can be there as like an ambassadorial representative. I mean, there could have been some way, but I don't think when things were more episodic that they necessarily would have been able to to do it that way, you know? Oh, but they decided to have Keiko with O'Brien. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that that's true. But I mean, also Keiko was somebody who was inter- introduced pretty much just as oh, O'Brien's marrying someone, and it's Keiko. Whereas Kalar right. is introduced as she's a special emissary on this mission, and it's not just for the purpose of like being with Worf. And they could have kind of folded in there. But I, I see what you mean. Maybe they could have done something and had her there every once in a while. But for whatever reason, they just. We'll, we'll get into it. <laughs> I think there's yeah, a I'm like, you guys are doing great leading this show because I did want to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost the like we have some kind of outline. For oh, the it show. is. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the relationship with Worf. I mean, this, yeah, totally combative, on again, off again. Like, we know that they were on again six years ago, previous to, you know, we see TNG starting. And there's that one comment where it's like, we didn't even try, you know, and and so they were, they didn't have the courage or, you know, careers or whatever, like they didn't even give it a go. And so now we see them here and again, they're not giving it a go. Like they want to take the oath and she doesn't. And then with reunion, now there's a kid and again, they're going to take the oath and then no. Then Worf, you know, pulls back. So My it's this dishonor. total on again, <laughs> yeah. off again relationship. So Bruce, mm-hmm. what what do you think about this uh, relationship with Kalar and Worf? Sounds like some of my previous relationships, um, <laughs> except we'd never s- smelled hands. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, or, or like fought monsters in a holodeck, probably. Or done that either. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> um. I like the on again, off again, because again, I feel as if it's more of Kalar's struggle than it is Worf's. Hmm. Worf is very much open to, you know, okay, let's bond and let's in the emissary, but but he he in in reunion, he's like, no, I have this discommendation, let's not do it. But in the emissary, it seems like, yep, let's go ahead. And she's like, whoa. (laughs) But I don't think, but his reason in reunion is not because he doesn't want to; it's because he's trying to protect her. He doesn't want to bring her down into the mess that he's in right Which she now. doesn't care about. Which she doesn't <laughs> care about, but he does. But see, that's and the he, thing that like in Emissary, like she doesn't, because the only reason he's going to take the oath is because of this code 
because it's Apparently the code says to do. sleep together, get It's not get because married. he wants to. And yeah. so I think she's smart for calling him out on that. Well, she's calling him out on it and she's ticked off that he even would do this because again, that's that old Klingon way. And I have a feeling that she's like, okay, you're doing that same thing that my father did to my mother. Mm. And they probably weren't even happy together. And she's mad about that. And she's like, I thought you were different than this wharf. You weren't raised on Klingon or Cronus or whatever. The Kling. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you weren't raised that way. And so now you're doing the Klingon thing. Come on. Dude, I thought you were somebody different than that. You know what? You're just like my dad. I'm out of here. Goodbye. And then she leaves and she thinks about it and she's like, oh, you know, I'm just letting things get to me. When I get back there, if I ever see him again, I'll tell him I feel differently. And then he's like, oh, you know, now you don't want to have anything to do with me because I'll just, you know, bring a bad name to you because, you know, whatever. Dishonor anyway. for seven generations. Dishonor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> And I don't want to do that to you, nor do I want to do that to that kid who I think may be my son. <laughs> well, and I think like so many times she wants Worf to communicate with her, like, just talk to me. You know, she says that a couple different times. And because that's where we're going to learn the true feelings and not just be guessing. Oh, well, maybe he likes me. Maybe he doesn't like that's. Uh, Worf is so yeah. frustrating because he's refusing to talk and then he's going to take this marriage where no. And I think it's pretty groundbreaking in, you know, the late eighties to have this sex isn't equal to marriage idea on the show where it's like, Oh, well we had sex. Well now we must get married. And it's like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. No, that's not the case. And Unless you have real feelings for me, that's a different scenario. But we're not going to get married just because we had sex. Just a, a bit of a side note. Like, do you think that when people are in the holodeck and like it's getting intimate, they're going to have sex? They have like a, a lock so nobody can come in. Because <laughs> it seems I like anybody they... can come into holodeck uh, programs in progress on Next Generation. Apparently, because think... Worf just walked right in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well yes the, those are in different novels they address that uh okay. no no actually no what the holodeck does it creates a, a holodeck sock that goes over the oh, door and <laughs> not to come in <laughs> oh my gosh oh, there's don't, no doorknob though <laughs> <laughs> that's true but anyway no doorknob. sorry to take it on a side little tangent but i always think about that like okay <laughs> Hopefully nobody's well, trying I, to get I, in. I have too. And not just about, you know, having that kind of relation on the on the holodeck, but anything that starts to happen that might be a bit I think I think Quark's Hollow Suite has like a permanent lock on it whenever <laughs> someone's in there. Because oh. that's pretty much what's going on in there. Well, I mean, think what happened, you know, with Barkley. You know, they yeah. walk in on him and, you know, yeah. it, it wasn't a sexual thing, but it's just, you know, I, it's, it's kind of odd that if you're in a holodeck, anybody can just walk in. You would almost think it would be like a doorbell that says, you know, ding dong, Riker wants to come in. <laughs> yeah, or that you would need some kind of security override or, you know, some kind right. of emergency protocol to enter yeah. without permission. Yeah. But anyway, what was your question? I forgot. <laughs> okay. So my original is, you know, don't you think it's pretty groundbreaking in the 80s to have this idea that sex doesn't equal marriage and and this 
oh, we can have sex and not get married idea. I, th- I think some of that had been broken down and especially like in the late 60s or into the 70s and, and 80s. I mean, maybe in, in some ways and in, in some circles, but I don't know. What, what's your impression of that, Bruce? Um, for a show like this, so in the 80s, I do remember there were shows where people would have sex and not get married because I remember at the same time, shows like L.A. Law was on and that was happening all the time. Oh, but that was yeah. one of these shows that's on at 10 o'clock and it's in the later time slot where uh, this is a syndicated show that's on mostly on weekends in the afternoon or early evening. And so uh, typically in those time slots and and they would try to avoid that or be a little more careful with that than they would with some of the more adult skewing later in the evening shows. But I, I don't think it's quite unusual. And the fact that it's also Klingons and a holodeck, I think, you know, it wasn't as direct, I think. Well, and I think it's awesome yeah. that it's the female saying, no, we're not going to get married. Like that sort of breaks social norms as well. Cause wouldn't mm-hmm. you say, you know, back then, usually it's the girl wanting to get married and, and now she's the one that's like, whoa. Yeah, I mean, b- b- basically, maybe we don't think about it because it's not like what we think about, like, someone on their knee proposing marriage. But basically, Worf is proposing marriage to Kalar, right? Uh, yeah, and, he's, and like, standing up and shouting the words. And, like, and I mean, that that's a reversal even to how things, I think, are still mostly done in our own day and age where it's, yeah. So it, it is it is interesting to think of it in that way. And it's not like he's asking. He's just like, I'm going to take the oath now. <laughs> right. It's yeah. that duty. It's that's what you do. And, and, and I can understand her not wanting to do that because it's like, are you doing that because you have feelings for me? Or are you doing it because, the, well, that's just how you're supposed to do it after this? I mean, come on. Right. And so, yeah. like, I applaud her for, you know, wanting to do the right thing at the right time, you know, cause they mentioned six years ago, they both weren't ready. And now she feels like, Oh, you're only doing it out of obligation, you know? So I, I think she's, I, I don't know. I think as far as relationship goes, I think she's more mature about it than Worf is. If I were to be so bold. She's thinking about it maybe a little more deeply. Whereas for him, it's almost like a reflex, like, Oh, now it's time to, to do this. Although I do think that you see that he does really care, care for her. And at the end of the episode, he says, I will not be complete without you. I think he he does love her, but it's also somehow tangled up in this Klingon tradition thing so that, you know, it may be, it's not, I don't think it's 100% the love. Part of it is like, we have to do this, but I think he does love her at the same time. It's kind of complicated the way he, yeah. it seems like he thinks about it. Well, and then in we see in Reunion that I feel finally it's like oh, they finally profess their love for each other and say that, yes, I am not. Kalar, you yeah. know, sort of admits <laughs> that, yeah, I'm not complete without you. And and, and one thing that I, I thought of that I hadn't thought of as much before is, you know, in, in Reunion, Kalar is doing all of this digging to find out what happened with Worf's discommendation and what happened with Duras and all of that. And I found in watching it this time, like that happens, I think, right after she has a conversation with Worf where she's like, I'm not complete without you either. Mm -hmm. And it seems like the obstacle for them being together is Worf's discommendation. So that is then motivating her to do all of this digging and to try to find out what's what's going on. So it's like she's decided in that episode, like, okay, 
I think I really want to be with Worf, but there's this barrier. What can I do to break down this barrier? Of course, she takes a huge risk and dies for it. But um, I hadn't really thought of it that much before, that that's a lot of her motivation in digging around for that information. Yeah, because if you're going to get married to someone and they have this (laughs) issue and they're not going to tell you about it, she wants to know about it. I mean, she wants to find out and help. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she wants um, to find out bad. She goes to Picard. She's looking, you know, in which Federation files. And then she... That only makes it worse. Yeah. Because yeah. as soon as you're like, okay, Worf won't tell me. Okay, let me just go ask somebody else. Hey, Captain Picard, what went on there? Oh, can't tell you. I can't tell you. She's oh, like, oh boy, okay. it's something really juicy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Now I really need to know, you know, and it just escalates from there i mean it's like you know do i really want to marry this guy if nobody can tell me what happened (laughs) i don't think she questioned about marrying him but it's like yeah she needs to have well also she she needs to find out because like there's probably a small part of her that's like what if there really is something you know terrible that Worf did or that his father Mm. did i need to know about that no i don't think think that's why she's looking she's trying Mm. to remove the only obstacle that she sees Worf is having with them mm. being together. Because she doesn't care. Like, discommodation, whatever. Man, like, I, I wish... want to be with you, you want to be with me. Right. Oh, Worf, yeah. you see this as an obstacle. Well, let's get over this together. Let me see if I can do something to help. Yeah, so, yeah I think she's expecting to say, oh, Worf, I found out about it, and it's really not a big deal. Come on, let's just let this go. But instead, yeah. she's finding out it's a bigger deal than what she mm-hmm. thought it was. And if, and of course, you know, she just needed to wait until early season five for his discommendation to be cleared. But I know! That's what's so <laughs> frustrating! It's like, oh, 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 I know. That just, oh, that kills me. Yeah, it does, because, I mean, they resolve it less than a season later. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, talking about Kalar and her digging into this private uh, happening there on Kronos. Uh, So, she's digging in and finds that records are sealed by Doros, and then Doros gets wind of it and goes to pay her a visit. So we have the end of Kalar. And I'm glad that we didn't see it because when we do see her next, the place is covered in blood. (laughs) I mean, I don't know what he did. Oh, Doc Crusher says she was stabbed multiple times, right? Yeah. I'm I'm glad we didn't see that, but I'm just always so heartbroken that, that, that she dies. And... I, I think I'd put this in the outline so that we we could talk about it because like the I think the first couple of times I watched the episode I was like ah oh, makes me so sad I always cry when when she dies and then Worf kills Duras and all of that and I didn't think about it too much until a couple of years ago I think when I was reading about this trope called fridging which if our listeners don't know is is basically when someone who's close to a hero is killed or in some way assaulted by a villain which then causes that that hero to go chase after the villain, possibly kill them or, or whatever. Oftentimes, like in the worst instances of this, it's that if a female character is just there for the purpose of the hero, like chasing the villain or exacting some kind of vengeance. I don't think that's the the case to that extreme with, with Kalar, where 
that's the only purpose she's there. She's a special emissary before, she's the ambassador, she's helping Picard with the Jajuk. There's all of these things that she's there for. It's not just solely for that purpose. But like when when I was kind of taking a look at their motivation for this, Ronald D. Moore, who is one of the writers on on the episode, you know, actually had had said at one point that it was Michael Pillar's idea to kill Kalar during the story break. And I'm quoting this from an AOL chat back when the writers were like chatting things in AOL. So he said it was Michael Pillar's idea to kill Kalar during the story break because it would be a great dramatic turn. It would provide Worf with ample reason to go stick a batleth into Duras's guts, end quote. So mm-hmm. clearly like the motivation, I mean, that's one person saying it was, but someone, Michael Pillar or someone else said like, we need to have Kalar get killed so that Worf has the motivation to kill Duras. And so I think it does to a certain extent fit into that trope, which can be quite unfortunate and i don't think they necessarily had to had to kill kalar in in this instance but now i think of that every time like she's killed just so that Worf can kill the other guy which which i think is is really unfortunate and kind of uh takes down what they could have done with the 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 character anyway i just wanted to say a little bit about that and see what you guys thought i mean that may be the case but i also think that the character was so well done in the uh, in season two, the emissary, that mm-hmm. they probably were already thinking we'd love to bring that character back sure. sometime. Yeah. And now here we are into the fourth season, and let's bring the character back. But how many times are we going to just keep bringing the character back? And what are we going to do with her? And if she does come back, and Worf wants to be with her. Is she just going to keep saying no throughout the episode, just like we've already done in in the season two episode? Or, you know, do we get them married? And then, like you were saying earlier, you know, do we have her on the ship? Well, now she's going to be a prominent character. She's not just like they handled with, you know, Miles O'Brien and, oh, Miles O'Brien is getting married to this woman named Keiko. This is now a prominent character that was introduced in season two. And she's, you can't just put her in the background. So, have her leave the ship and what show up every couple seasons and like, and, and I almost feel like they were like, let's do something with her, but you know, let's, let's give her a dramatic end because you know, we can't just show her off and then bring her back again. And she leaves and comes back again. It's going to get too repetitive and we'd love to have the character back at least for one more episode. So they gave her a death scene. Maybe I can see that. Although again, like, I, I would have loved it a lot more if she hadn't died and she had stayed on the ship for some reason, but they may have been limited in what they could do. I don't know. What do you think of all of this, uh, Amy and her death? Yeah, when, when I saw your notes on fridging and you, you sent me that link and you know, where it came from, from the comic books, I believe yeah. it was green lantern and, uh-huh, yeah. and how the, where a woman is like killed and literally like put in a fridge, put in a fridge the yeah. hero to find. Yeah. And so then that allows the hero to exact his vengeance and, and then watching reunion. And then when Worf, you know, beams over to Doris's ship and, I'm here to claim my vengeance. I'm like, oh mm-hmm. my gosh, this is so the trope. I just, oh, <laughs> now I'm going to think of it every time. Um, but yeah, it, and and I hear what you're saying too, Bruce, because Susie Plaxon is so dynamic and she can't be a Keiko. I'm sorry. She, she's too outstanding. She's had two, you know, major episodes where her character you know, has meaning and has purpose and, you know, is 
is working with the the crew of the Federation. So I don't see her just going into the botanical gardens and, you know, working <laughs> her green thumb. I think you know? she would be more than botanical gardens. They could find some, I don't know, post for her or something. <laughs> she's working. She's raising flowers, but they're only from Earth, not from Kronos. <laughs> <laughs> So, and I've heard Susie Plaxon, you know, at, at uh, STLV say that she would have loved to have, you know, continued working with the t- cast of TNG, you know, so she was definitely willing. Uh, well, obviously we see her as Dr. Salar, you know, so she definitely wanted to, but yeah, I just, I, I yeah, I would have liked to have seen something different. I can see why the writers did it that way. Cause but yeah, we could have seen more of Doros. I mean, we do throughout, you know, his sisters and his son or make-believe son or whatever. <laughs> and his ancestor. Yeah, you know, <laughs> so the Doros name lives on, um, yeah. but just not the actual Doros, so. Yeah, and that was an interesting thing, too, because he was this guy that was covering things up in Sins of the Father, and then they made the decision, like, let's off him. And now yeah. Galron is the chancellor and the important person. Like, okay. <laughs> so it, it yeah. is a really interesting episode reunion because, I mean, of course, it's not, we're focusing on Kalar. It's not just about her. It's about the, you know, who's going to be chancellor. And it introduces Galron. It introduces the Batleth. It introduces the Vorchuk class ship. There's a lot of in- important stuff happening in this episode. And I can see why they might have made the decision, but... I just really wanted to see more and what that would have been like and I'm always sad to see her die. Leave your audience wanting more. There you go. Yes. That's what they did. You know, a lot of Star Trek characters don't stay dead. Couldn't Kalar not have stayed dead somehow? Right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and you could have even taken Kalar and made her a regular character on DS9 or make her the Balan yeah. Taurus character on Voyager if she had lived. You know, you could have mm. done and these you know, other series, you could have taken that character and put her in those settings. Too. Or even like flashbacks through Alexander, you know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But do you- I think a lot of people would say they prefer to have Kalar there than Alexander. Yeah. I mean, I think she's a there is a lot character. of people that would say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, go ahead. Well, no, and. If you listen, if you watch these two episodes back to back, it's also interesting how Worf, you know, says to Captain Picard, you know, can't you find somebody else to, you know, watch her or <laughs> escort her around? And he's like, Mr. Wolf, you need to get over this, you know. <laughs> and then in the next episode, it's the same thing. Captain Picard, can't you find somebody else? Like, Mr. Wolf, you are Starfleet officer. Do your job. <laughs> <laughs> I withdraw my request. <laughs> I know. I love that. It's so good. Picard is so good. Picard's the only one that gets Worf to withdraw his request, at least on TNG. <laughs> yeah, but oh my gosh, he, I mean, Picard is so great because, you know, he can dress down Worf for what he did when he, he killed Duras and said, you know, mm-hmm. you're Starfleet. You know, you have to make a decision. Are you Starfleet or not? And you have to follow the rules. And after he dresses him down, he then step to stakes, takes one step forward as if, you know, I'm stepping out of the Starfleet role now, and now I'm approaching you as a friend and an understanding. Mm. And it's like Picard can really balance those two things really well of, you know, I'm your captain, but I'm also, I don't want to say friend, but I'm here to also support you. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, he's there to be a, like a mentor for him is the way I think about it. Yes. Because, you know, like Worf has these conflicts that sometimes come up and it comes up in other parts of, of the series, like when he leaves in, in Redemption, he's like, I'm going to go off and fight in this war now. Um, and And I think that Picard has to kind of see and try to understand that, you know, he wants to go try to go along with what he sees as Klingon traditions and duty and what he wants to do, but at the same time balance it with being a Starfleet officer. And I think at different parts, Picard is kind of helping him to, in in that journey, to be a better officer and to try to balance things with conflicts that may happen because of his culture. I think he's really good at that. Well, and even in Emissary, where the first time Worf is like, I don't want to help, you know, get Data or Riker to do it. And Picard asks two questions. It's like, is it a personal reason? Yes, it is. Is it a professional reason? No, it isn't. And then it's like when Worf says <laughs> those words out loud, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm being stupid. I'll withdraw my request. You know, and it's like, so Picard doesn't say, get over yourself and demeanor him in any way. He merely asks questions to allow Worf the thinking process to say, all right, get your head out. You're, you're going to do your job, you know? And I, I just love that. I thought that was perfect counseling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and then also when we talk about Kalar's death and Alexander, then I think one reason again, that they killed her off is, you know, going back to this being the eighties and then, you know, early nineties, a lot of times these shows just didn't want to carry over characters and bring them back that often and such. And, or at least, you know, if you're going to bring them back, there's a mild connection. It's not one that you feel like has to carry on through each episode. So for example, if Worf were to marry Kalar or they had a romantic relationship, they're almost forced to, you know, revisit that without keeping her on the ship because they're not going to pay the actress to be there all the time. Well, she didn't have to be there all the time because she could be doing something that doesn't necessarily have to do with the bridge duties or things that Worf does, but we see her every once in a while. Yeah, but I also, but, but the way this episode ended with Alexander, mm-hmm. she wants Worf to raise him or introduces to Alexander that Worf is his father. Mm-hmm. And the way the episode ends is, you know, you will go off and... You know, be raised by my parents. And it's almost like, a, oh, there they go. The writers are washing their hands of it. Yep, we got rid of Kalar, and now we're getting rid of his son, and we'll just say his son's <laughs> with his parents, yeah. and we never have to go there again. Though you know, they, they change did. their minds later. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, it was yeah. interesting because I was listening to uh, a podcast about Deep Space Nine. Yes, listeners, I'm watching Deep Space Nine. Um, but they were pointing out, like, the secondary characters are more consistent and more well-developed in Deep Space Nine, like Nog, mm-hmm. Like, he's not a main character, but you have these secondary characters that are consistent. So it's interesting yeah. to see the change from TNG writers that say, no, we're not going to have any consistent secondary characters. I mean, I guess the only one you could say would be Guinan or, and Wesley. But other than that... Well, Wesley was a main character for most of uh, that. Though. But he was on Yeah, again, no, he was again. in the opening credits for the first three, four years. Okay, all right. So if you yeah. consider opening credits, okay, yeah. So but then Guinan, not Wesley, yeah. but... Yeah. yeah, so the the change of how the writing staff, you know, handled these secondary characters and said, yeah, we're going to, you know, see them much more. I think that also lends to 
you know, that idea that Deep Space Nine has these major arcs because you're seeing these secondary characters show up where we don't get that in Mm -hmm. TNG. And you see somebody in Deep Space Nine like like Garrick, who if he was somebody for TNG, maybe you would have seen him for a couple episodes, but he's in like 30 plus episodes of, of DS9. It becomes really important. And it like it, I think it's a function of, of two things. I think things were starting to change a little bit in, in, in TV then. Well, DS9 was probably at the leading edge of that, but, but also like <clears throat> for the most part, they were kind of left alone to do what they wanted for a lot of the run. And so they kind of did, uh, and they weren't as closely watched in some of those things. And they had were people who had worked on, TNG like Ira Stephen Bear who kind of maybe have learned some things from that but but yeah Guinan may be the only one where you see them in more than a couple episodes maybe Gowron a little bit uh, but Guinan especially mm-hmm. where you see her in like quite a few episodes you know that she's there the whole time but you're only seeing her for certain episodes but it's right. fairly significant I mean it's more than 10% of the run you know the other thing I think it, they wanted to kill her off or not uh have the character around on a permanent basis is probably because the the thought was we already have a Klingon on the ship. We don't want to. But where are the other Klingons? Up, <laughs> well, no, because I mean, think about it. Cause wasn't originally when uh, TNG was started, uh, Roddenberry didn't want a Klingon on the bridge and they, they convinced him or said it might be really good. I, to I show, don't know about know, some of that, that. Yeah. I don't remember hearing history. That. Yeah. But anyway, the decision was then to have a Klingon, and that's why he wasn't security chief. He was kind of like second to to Yar because it was more of a later decision or something to that effect that they weren't going to go down that route or Ron Baird didn't want to go down that route. And then they decided, well, yeah, let's have a Klingon there and we'll put him on the bridge. And now here we are a few seasons later, and what are you going to do? Have a Klingon family now on the Enterprise I don't know. I'm just saying mm. there may have been a decision they didn't want to have two Klingons on the Enterprise at this point. They just wanted to focus on Worf. And I, yeah, they brought Alexander in, but I think that was just, yeah. you know, wow, he's a See, little kid. But but I don't think if they really thought about it on that level. I think they just thought about it as, hey, it would be a great, dramatic, unexpected turn if Kalar gets killed and it gives a reason for Worf to kill Duras and to have this confrontation with Picard and like this murky yeah. thing about Worf. I think that's all they were thinking about it in terms of. But And I think they were thinking, how can we piss Justin off? <laughs> Many years later. It's <laughs> yeah. not that it, no, it's I mean it's I know it doesn't. Yeah. I it's not that I'm mad. pissed off. And I mean again, <laughs> like when I mentioned that trope of, of fridging, there are far, far worse examples where literally a character is just there to get killed. And Kalar is much more than that. Mm-hmm. But in the end her, one of her purposes in reunion is to get killed so that Worf can exact vengeance. And I find that disappointing that, that that's what happens. That's mm-hmm. all. Yeah. Well, she gets reincarnated as the female Q. Or maybe Kalar was the female Q all along trying <gasps> to experience that existence. That's oh. what it is. <laughs> it's all coming together now. <laughs> There could be a really cool novel that would posit that, right? <laughs> it's actually the female cue. But like you, the, I think Kalar has a similar sense of humor to the female cue, doesn't she? Yes. Yeah. Where she's kind of like a little sassy and sarcastic. Uh-huh. She is. <laughs> hmm. Well, maybe that's what was happening. And she didn't die. <laughs> so my final thoughts for Kalar is that she is a 
fabulous character. And like you had mentioned, just plays off Worf perfectly. I love how she is so independent. She's fierce in her decisions and the choices that she makes. And she's so strong. Like she exudes this strength and, and a little stubborn. So that's, you know, I think she also is flawed. And so we get to see this complexity of this character. Again, we've only seen on two episodes, but has such a lasting uh, influence especially with in Worf's life and through Alexander that it just lives on throughout the show. And, and she definitely has this loving side to her that she doesn't quite know exactly what to do with. Um, and I think that that is just so brilliant because I, I think so many people can relate to that, that, you know, I, I'm fairly independent and I'm going to do what I want to do. And, and stuff like that. And so having those emotions, you know, sometimes can be viewed as weak. And I think as Kalar, you know, says like, there's these weaknesses within me. So I think she really exudes just a commonality that so many people can relate to that I just, I really love Kalar and what she brings to next generation. Bruce, what are your final thoughts? I agree with Everything that you said, uh, and I think that is what makes the characters interesting, like Kalar and Spock. And, you know, I was talking earlier about having the different halves and their fighting halves, but it's not about fighting one half or the other. There's always something in ourselves that we're always fighting with, that we always, it's something that we don't like about ourselves or something that uh, we really need to work on to improve ourselves. There's always that, that journey of trying to course correct uh, certain aspects of yourself or change things about ourselves. And that's what makes a character like Kalar so interesting. And she's the first character that we've seen in Star Trek at this point that was a half human, half Klingon. And so that was an interesting aspect. And she did make her presence really well known in that second season episode to the point that they wanted to bring her back. And then when they killed her off, I think they remembered how well that character worked and how interesting the character worked that when they went on to Voyager, they created another character that is half Klingon, half human, that could be a regular character on a weekly basis. So in some respects, Justin, you kind of got what you wanted in the Oh, and I love Balana as a character. So yeah, you're, I think you're right about that. Yeah. If it wasn't the female Q masquerading as Kalar all along. (laughs) (laughs) That's all I have. No. Well, I mean, you you guys said it very well. And I think we've talked a lot during this episode of how much we love the, the character of, of Kalar. I mean, it, 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 and as I said, I relate to it very much because my parents come from, you know, quite different, uh, backgrounds and I won't get into it too much here, but there was actually, you know, some conflict with some of their families. Um, and so like, I think the mark of a really great character who you only see a little bit is that you want to see more. I want to find out what she was like with Worf when he was at the Academy or whenever things happen. I want to find out what her childhood was like, what her father was like, what her mother was like. And I think that She's a great character also because she really pushes Worf. She is someone like who is like fierce and has determination and can stand up to Worf, but it's at the same time kind of poke fun at him and try to push him. And I just find that that whole side of her just like really delightful. So like whenever I see the character, it's like, oh, it's Kalar. I, I love her because she's, she's strong 
and she's also someone who is funny and, you know, seems like a well-rounded person really trying to integrate these things about herself. So I think it's a fantastic character all around. And yeah, like you said, Bruce, it, it is a bit of the template for Bellana Torres. So I'm glad we got kind of more of that. And I think these cases where you have a character who's half human and half another species, whether it's Spock being Vulcan or or Troy being, you know, Betazoid or something like that is always just really interesting to see like how they handle those two sides and how they integrate it and what happens. So yeah, it's, and I enjoyed very much talking about it. I think on Earl Grey, we've talked about Kalar and bits here and there, but it's great to devote a whole episode to her. Yes. Bruce, thank you so much for coming on Earl Grey. And again, this amazing topic that we got to discuss for an hour. It's awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. I mean, this has been a very enjoyable cup of Earl Grey for me. <laughs> it's get me all warm and cozy because it's not nice hot tea. Yes. So. <laughs> awesome. Well, we will have to have you on again for sure. Promise? Promises. It's a promise. It's okay, a promise. Cool. And we'll see you at STLV for sure. Yay, thanks. Good seeing <laughs> you guys. So, Bruce, where can people uh, find you out there on the interwebs? You can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex. And you can find me in the Babel Conference, of course. And uh, you mentioned earlier, you know, I had literary treks with Dan Gunther talking about the Star Trek books and comics here on Trek FM. And also do a podcast called The Star Wars Report talking about Star Wars, of course. So that's where you'll find me. Well, listeners, next week we are going to talk about our favorite character moments from season six. So if you want to start watching some of your favorite episodes from season six, go ahead and and be thinking about what are some of your character moments, too. It's been so much fun talking about Kalar, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.fm. To the journey! Do you have to have the stick to be the grand proxy? The scepter? Yeah. I see it as a walking <laughs> stick. <laughs> um, is that supposed to be the grand negus's um, scepter? Is that the actual one? Or oh my it's a gosh. replica, of course, but is it supposed to be the actual one? I don't know, but what it reminds me of totally is old Biff from Back to the Future, old Biff, <laughs> yes. with his his cane that he hits people on the head with. That is totally it. Hello, <laughs> McFly. Think McFly, think. Standard orbit. People are coming over and they're introducing people to him, and it's my turn. And he goes, Steve, uh, Jim, uh, Jimmy, I want you to meet the, the host of the convention. This is Stephen Last. And he goes, Please to meet you, sir. Nice to meet you, Mister Doing. And he goes, Hi, Steve. Nice to meet you. It's like. What? What? <laughs> you, mean, you mean you don't talk like that? The 602 Club. In particular, I noticed that the most with either Elastigirl or Violet, because it's sort of like you and I were talking about before the show, Helen, Elastigirl, really shows that she's Elastigirl not only in what she does as a superhero, but in showing the things that a regular mom has to deal with, you know, whether you're a single mom or, you know, a, a big family, it's something that um, traditionally they're trying to show that um, a, a parent goes through. 
Warp 5. Right, because Frankenstein himself, like, it doesn't really mistreat the monster, right? They've got him locked up, chained up and whatnot, right? Because he's, they don't know what to do with him, I guess. Like, now that I've made this corpse, well, now what, right? Like, like yeah. you know, it's not like a puppy. Never right? thinking like, about the end game. Just like all those, you know, master villains. It's like, yeah, you, uh, you rule the world and then what? Right. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published. And please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, in most third-party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email just like we did on today's show. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at Facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not trying out Worf's calisthenics program? It's really a tough program, Amy. I, you know, while you were doing that last little bit, I actually went into the holodeck. I have something that can stop time so I can do that. <laughs> and man, even level one is tough. I just barely survived. Yeah, and then have Worf come in and say, level, <laughs> level two. two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, when I'm not doing that, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek. Yes, I am still tweeting out my season five rewatch, but I will get to it soon. I'm just doing it little by little because I've been kind of busy, but I do still do it and talk about lots of other Star Trek stuff. And you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. So Amy... Where can people contact you when you're not performing your duties as an ambassador and special emissary for the Federation? Well, you can find me here on the network. I do a little show called The Edge, which is uh, Trek FM's podcast to Star Trek Discovery. I do that with, uh, okay, I do that with Patrick Devlin. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, where Justin, you have inspired me. And I am tweeting my DS9 watch, and I am currently in season two. That's been a lot of fun. Guys, if you aren't already following Amy on Twitter, you should. Because it's Amy and because she has lots of great stuff to say, but she is doing a DS9 rewatch. As you guys know, it's my favorite series, (laughs) even though, of course, I love TNG. And you're making it through quickly if you're in season two already. Well, as a school teacher, I have my summers off, so I've got a lot more free time where it's like, (laughs) oh, I'll watch an episode while I'm eating breakfast, and oh, I'll watch an episode while I'm eating lunch, you know? That's great. So it's going through quickly. Yeah, and we'll have to talk with you about that sometime in the future, maybe on a patron exclusive. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, So that's where you can find me. Oh, also on the Babel Conference. That's my favorite place. I just love it there. 
If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, The Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity and recognize our current associate producers, Norman Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you so much for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. Whoever said getting there was half the fun never rode in a Class 8 probe. Sorry, had to make myself beautiful. <laughs>